Guys, last week we talked about waters being made sweet. The, the, the title of last week's teaching was Waters Made Sweet, and the title of this week's teaching is Waters Made Bitter. Waters Made Bitter. And so, uh, uh, last week we said, uh, or we asked this question and we answered it. We said, is it possible to trust God if you actually believe that he permits or allows or is behind bad things that happen to us. How is it possible to trust a father who allows, permits, or stands behind the bad things that happen to us? How can you trust someone like that? And if you weren't here last week, then you would have to go listen to it so that it would help us understand that you as a dad or mom by nature aren't like that. Why do you expect God from whom you got your nature as a parent, at least the good parts, why do you think this God who you were created by and who gave you the ability to parent, why do you think that that God would be different? If anything, he would be a million times better, not worse. That's just logic. But logic aside, we were looking at scriptures that show that every good and perfect gift comes from this Father who is the Father of light and the Father of life. So you can go listen to the message from last week to know that we do not serve a God who permits, allows, and these are uh, semantics, but my God, we get so stuck up with those words, and how can I trust you if I can't be sure whether you will be good to me or not? And by good to me, I don't mean a lack of discipline or pampering or giving me what I want, but good to me as in, in your essence, I can expect nothing else but goodness from you. So that is waters made sweet. And today we talk about waters made bitter. There's a word in Revelation chapter 8, verse 11, for waters made bitter. And it's a word, wormwood. It was a star that falls out of the sky and poisons or makes bitter the waters of the earth. And so Revelation 8, 11, in a sense, is the opposite of um, uh, Exodus 15.25. In Exodus 15.25, we said that Moses took a branch of a tree and threw it into the waters of Marah, which means bitterness. And when he threw in the piece of wood into the waters of Marah, that the waters turned sweet. Here, it's this thing called wormwood, which people have different interpretations for, because after all, it's the book of Revelation. But when it falls into the waters, the waters turn bitter. And so I want to talk about, okay, if God is the one who makes the water sweet, then what are we dealing with when we talk about waters being made bitter? And so that's what the rest of this day will be about. Um, for you, God wants to say something to you. He wants to say that he is going to come to you. You don't have to go after him. Sometimes uh, parents are like that. In some cases, children have to go running to the parents. Other times, parents go running after children. You do that with your children too. And God is saying to you, within the next one week, I will come running to you. And when I come running to you because I made you, I know exactly how you think, exactly what you feel. And I'll show you what is to happen over the next little while. And it'll clear your mind. You won't be afraid. You'll make clear decisions. You don't have to do anything that God will come running to you. This is marvelous. It's like the dad coming running to the son instead of the son running to the dad. So expect it. And not over the next two years. Over the next one week, God will make things so evident that he's around you that you'll come running to Echo and say, you know, something happened, something happened. It'll blow your mind. So I'm happy for you. And I'll explain more of it later. So guys... Um, so who brings about this bitterness? I, I don't want to talk about the origin of Satan and stuff like that. You can go read about it. But I want to make you aware of uh, where all this comes from and how vicious it is. To begin with, uh, we, are up against, um, we are up against real forces of evil. Huh? You must understand where bitter, how the waters are being made bitter. We are up against evil forces... Um, encountered on a daily basis, actually on an hourly basis, 
But here's the problem. They are unseen and they occupy the invisible realm, which then makes it difficult for people who are rational like us to even think of associating the waters being made bitter with the arch enemy that we have. And I just want to expose him like crazy today. He's hostile to our well-being. He is hostile to our well-being. To your well-being. And he is hostile to the gospel. Hostile as in sworn enemy who will do anything to destroy. I want this church, I want us to become so aware today of who we are fighting against that you will not go and make God the scapegoat first. God's shoulders can handle scapegoating. But we got to at least grapple with the fact that right now there is someone called the prince of the power of the air that holds sway over the sons of disobedience, that at present is listening to what I'm saying, that knows the patterns of your past and the patterns of your father and your grandfather and your great-grandfather, that is hostile in intent against you, against your family, against your children, against your marriage, against your body, against your mind, against the feelings that you have, against your walking with God. That this enemy has a, a demonic horde that is into millions and their only job is, can I bring harm and be hostile to the well-being of Jacob, of Rachel, of Rachel's twins, of Matt, of Annette, of uh, Danny, of Karen, of Ook. This is all he does. You've got to be aware of this. We don't talk about this. It's strange how the church starts being apologetic about the supernatural. Because after all, it's in the unseen realm, right? So when we talk about it, it sounds weird. You know, eagles never, I mean, I saw this on Facebook a million times, you probably did too. Eagles never fight snakes in the ground, the ground, they fight them in the air. Eagles never swoop on a snake and then try to mangle its head while it's on the ground. It knows better. Eagles swoop down, pick up snakes and then mangle them in the air, where a snake has no traction. Flailing wildly in the air, it has absolutely no ability to do anything, but just hang there as the talons rip into it. While on the ground, you try fighting that serpent and it has the ability to wriggle away. It has the ability to turn, to thrash, to get the eagle, but not in the air. These are forces that are attempting to subdue or reclaim the people of Christ back into his dominion. dominion. These are forces that are trying to subdue or reclaim Every believer back into the dominion that they were delivered out of. You think it's not possible? Let's take a look at Ananias and Sapphira. Let's take a look at Judas. Let's take a look at Peter. We can at least say of Peter and Judas that these were men who walked with Jesus Christ but were not filled with the Holy Spirit because Christ hadn't ascended yet. So we can leave them out. But take Ananias, take Sapphira, take Alexander the coppersmith, take Demas. Take Janus and... Uh, no, they were from the Old Testament. What I'm trying to say is this, that the... This is a valid, legitimate, continuous attempt. And you think it's not being directed against you. And this is not once in a blue moon, it's a 24-7 weekly, daily thing. And yet, uh, the good news we'll get to later. These forces take captive by deceptive philosophies and traditions of men. These forces, Colossians 2.8 these forces take you and me captive by deceptive philosophies and the traditions of men. Please don't think you don't have it. You have them. Deceptive philosophy. How do I know? I've spoken to you. And you might say, well, Jacob, you have it too. Absolutely. 
But my God, I've spoken to you. I know the deceptive philosophies that you are under, the traditions of men that you suffer under and you will not budge from it till the Holy Spirit himself has to turn up and convict you. How do you think that happens? Please, when I say you and you think, but Jacob, you too, don't even bother. I know that about myself. I'm pointing my finger at you, man. You can point it at me later. I want us to... What's the aim? I was talking to God about this message and I was saying, Father, please make us aware of an enemy that is real because we don't pay him enough attention because we've been told too many times, just focus on God, not the enemy. Deceptive philosophies and traditions take us captive. Colossians 2.8. This is the same Satan. This is Satan who leads us astray with trickery that is more subtle than the greatest craftiness of men. You take the most crafty man on earth and he's nowhere near the trickery that comes from the subtlety of this serpent. He's been using it since the beginning. When everything was pure, when everything was pristine, he was able to deceive. What then when you are already in a fallen environment? Therefore, I have to be even more careful not to be taken by philosophies and deceptions and subtleties and craftiness. That is all around me and that, my God, I've been indoctrinated with. Either through my own stubbornness or through what has been passed down to me. And one of the things he likes best is if there is no resistance or fight put up. This is the adversary. He, the, Satan, the very word means adversary. This is the adversary who Jesus called a thief. And then Jesus Christ, the son of the living God, the prince of Peace, the king of the universe. These are his words. Take them at face value. He said he is a thief. And he has been stealing and killing and destroying ever since he existed. He is a thief. This is your adversary. This is your opponent. He steals, kills and destroys. He steals, kills and destroys your family. He steals, kills and destroys your marriage. He steals, kills and destroys your children. He steals, kills and destroys within and without the church. This is, he's a thief. He was called a thief. You see where waters are being made bitter. My heart rages against him because of what he's getting away with. And because of the fact that he's getting away with, we come up with theologies that are so absurd that distort the nature of God when God isn't like that. Which is again deceptive philosophies, eh? And the traditions of men. They say God was created for man when he could not understand something. He created God as a crutch so that God, he could be... I would like to say when, when man does not understand the supernatural or the demonic or the satanic, they then create theologies. Christians I'm talking about create theologies to somehow explain what is happening. One has to absolutely be sure of what is the nature of God. All I have to do is look at the worst father here, and I don't know who the worst father is. Look at the... Uh, um, uh, um, worst father is the wrong word. Uh, uh, I just need to look at any father here, and I will find that their children's opinion of their dad, regardless of how the dad has been here on earth, is usually far more assured than Christians' understanding of God. My dad was a decent dad, but he was like so many miles away from perfection, it's crazy. But I, as I was growing up, was more sure of him than I was sure of God, because with God it was never know, this thing called sovereignty, ugly word, don't know what he's going to do. What a distortion, how can you trust someone like that? One of the things this evil enemy does is he brings experiences into our lives that makes it so difficult for us to trust God, to expect anything of God. It riddles us with doubt and fear. 
He uses experiences, especially experiences when we are children that are so imprinted in our minds that it becomes so hard to trust a God who can do this kind of evil or as we say, allow this kind of evil. Allowing, permitting, doing is all the same, man. It's just the same word used differently to make us feel better. Either he does this or he doesn't. I've said this before, guys, but you've got to examine the nature of God. You've got to, you've got to read the word through the nature of God, not read the nature of God through the word. You've got to read the word through the nature of God. Not read the nature of God through the word. How do you read the word through the nature of God? By looking at the only one who is a visible image of the invisible God, the Christ. Look at him in the gospels and see the kind of Christ he is. And it will show you who God really is. Now having understood the nature of God through the only visible manifestation of the invisible glorious good God. Now begin to read the word and the word will be dissected correctly. Any other way of dissecting the word through Greek, Hebrew, theology, Jacob's doctrine or any other doctrine will be faulty because it will still defy the nature of God because you will put your own lens on it. But look through Jesus Christ, very different. And then hold on to it regardless of your experience. This adversary foments strife. He's a thief who steals, kills, destroys. John chapter 10 verse 10. This adversary or this, 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 this enemy is a deceiver. The father of lies, Jesus said. He's the father of lies. He's the father of lies who disguises himself as an angel of light. He is a deceiver who seduces, who deceives, who ensnares. Who seduces, deceives, ensnares. Whatever your stance be at present, whatever your way, way of thinking be, always go and examine, oh God, this stance that I hold right now, do I need to re-examine it? Do I need to go bounce it off somebody? Because I realize the enemy is a deceiver and I do not want to be held captive by a philosophy or a tradition of man or a deception. I can't afford it. Because every stronghold is always built on a lie. Every stronghold that exists in the mind of man is built on a lie. You think you don't have strongholds? You think I don't have strongholds? Every stronghold is built on a lie. Remember that story about strongholds of the uh, cardboard boxes and the snake? No? Strongholds are built... Imagine your mind being a vacant room. And then repeated patterns happen where a thought is brought in, another thought is brought in. Every time the thought is brought in, imagine a big cardboard box being brought and put in the room. Soon the room is full of cardboard boxes. When the room is empty, it's very hard for Satan to take advantage. But once the room is full of cardboard boxes brought in, every time you repeat a thought pattern, now a serpent can hide. Strongholds become places where demons hide. That is why it sometimes becomes impossible. It does not matter what you do. People do not change. Why? Because you've got to clear the boxes. Deliverance is great. The serpent will go out, but he'll come back because the boxes haven't been cleared. I was talking to Val and Steve uh, a couple of days ago. Guys, it is one thing to be set free, and it is another thing to rework our thinking and come back to a place of wholeness. And so you can come to me and I can command in the name of Jesus Christ for you to be set free and demons will flee. But when the serpent comes back, he has to find the room empty of cardboard boxes and furnished. For that you need sometimes prolonged speaking, hearing, counseling. And if you need that in this church, because of things that have happened to you in the past, then one of the persons you can use as a resource is Val. If you don't know who she is, she'll just lift up her hand gently. That was very gentle, Val. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Steve. And uh, she does that um, uh, on a regular basis, and uh, um, she won't come and tell me what you're telling her, even under torture. So uh, you're safe. 
But sometimes things need to be reworked in our heads. Setting free is one thing. Getting a new habit is another thing. And um, uh, going to people like her can be slightly expensive, and the church will help. When Heidi is not here, you can pledge away any amount of money from this church. And she's not here right now, right? Yeah, so if you need help, just let me know. This is a God who blinds the minds of unbelievers, and I would suggest to you, dulls the mind of believers. This is a God who blinds the mind of unbelievers. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers to himself and to the, to the light of God and the light of the gospel. And I would suggest to you that the same MO works in and amongst believers where there's a blindness or a dullness that comes in. It's a prayer of mine, eh? As I grow older, oh God, I have seen people who are as old as me. They get pretty set in their ways and stop growing. Oh God, please destroy the dullness of my mind. And please help me apologize when I really do things wrong to people. This is the enemy... This is the same devil, listen, listen to this. This is the same devil who tried to destroy Moses and Jesus. Destroy, as in take out, as in kill, as in end their physical lives. You think that he won't try that with you. The good news about all this is what we need to do so that we are protected. And thank God Jesus has furnished that. But you've got to be highly aware of a realm around you that is really demonic, really satanic, really evil, really out to do harm. I go so far as to say that behind everything that happens in my life, there are spiritual uh, uh, um, realities. Be it good or be it bad. Be it my own fault or be it not. Be it the goodness of God or the badness of Jacob. Spiritual realities exist behind everything I do. They either prompt one side or prompt the other side. My words do, my actions do. That's just my doing. But that aside, there are spiritual realities around my life at all times. Did you see the shift if you were here when we began the songs. That was a spiritual reality. Singing about the Holy Spirit. This place was deader than a doorknob. And then at some point things begin to change. Who does it? Not Jane. It's the work of God. I'll give you time to ask questions in two seconds. Uh, not two seconds. This is the same enemy who tried to destroy Moses and Jesus. Hand you. Hand is, will try to do it in the, uh, has tried to do it in the past, will try to do it in the future. This is the devil who Jesus said was a murderer. He was there when Cain took a boulder and smashed his brother's head in. He was there when there was weeping in Ramah. When Pharaoh sent out, um, sorry, uh, when Herod sent out soldiers to kill every child below the age of two. He was there when Moses would send midwives to choke babies to death. He was there when Nero began to light Rome up with Christian torches, Christian bodies on flames. He was there. He's been a murderer. This is an evil being, more powerful than humans, who once used to dwell in the presence of God, was cast out, is brutal and evil. He was there at all these places. He's a murderer. He inspires rage. Provokes, not inspires. Rage should never be inspired. Wrong, wrong two words. Any questions? I'm not done, but I just thought I'll ask. Any questions? You must understand who makes the waters bitter, guys. There is one who makes the waters sweet.
And then there is one who's diametrically opposed to him. And they share, they share no commonality. We, do, we never associate the devil with godliness, but we sure associate, associate God with devilishness. Only we, we, we word it differently. But we attribute to him things that are not common to his nature. Just because I complimented you when I met you that your questions are helpful doesn't mean you have to ask questions every time. But go ahead now that you've lifted your hand. Okay. Yes. It was that he's making an attempt to do it. Yeah. Anyone else? Oh, that was easy. Go ahead, Paul. What do you do when like you start to In about 14 minutes, 23 seconds. Okay. 14 minutes, 84 seconds. <laughs> which is 15 minutes, 24 seconds. This is the same devil who uses the penalty of sin, of fear, and of death as weapons. He uses the penalty of sin. Hey, you've experienced it. How many times have we felt guilt? Condemnation. Isn't it sometimes, for some of us on a daily basis, unable to approach this God? He uses the penalty of sin. He's been using it forever. He used it first, and a man and his wife ran and hid behind bushes. The penalty of sin sin he uses the penalty of fear uh, then he uses fear and he uses death as a means of frightening people this is why paul had to dedicate an entire chapter saying oh death where is your sting christians come on don't be afraid of dying it is the last enemy that will be conquered but even that wicked enemy will be put under the foot of christ or already has it's only a matter of time Don't look forward to dying, but we of all people must be least afraid of death. This is the same devil, the sa Satan who ravages with sickness, with affliction, with torment, with addictions, with bondage, with pain. Sickness, affliction, torment. Sickness, affliction, torment. He brings it. Bondage. Addictions, he brings it. Sickness, affliction, torment. God has no part in it. Matthew 8, 14 to 16. Isaiah 53, verse 5. He took on our pains, our afflictions, our torments, our uh, maladies, our diseases. He took it on. How? By having his back stripped open. There is no commonality between God, afflictions, torment. No, 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 don't. Read it through the nature of Christ. This was an advantage that the Old Testament did not have. We have it. No Moses, no David could ever read God through the eyes of Christ. This is why the Old Testament is considered a shadow. There are principles that can be pulled out from them. And Paul does a masterful job in 2 Corinthians 10, where he says, this happened to Israel, this happened to Israel, this happened to Israel. And these things that happened to Israel were supposed to be a, a moral or a parable or a story that tells us this is not how we should behave. This is the same enemy who, I, like I said a little while ago, uses evil experiences that happen to us when we are growing up, especially when we are children, to create doubt and fear and an inability to trust and expect anything good from God. I hate it when, when evil happens to children. I hate it because I know now that for the rest of their lives, people will have to work to take away the doubt and the inability to expect anything good from the goodest person in the universe. I hate it. This is why it's critical that we as parents, we brilliant parents, 
And what is a brilliant parent? A parent that strives to somehow reflect as father and mother the nature of the father. That is a brilliant parent. A brilliant parent is not one who takes you to private school, who gives you toys. All that is good. May your parents be brilliant enough to do that too. But my God, after all that, if the father's nature is not portrayed, if your toy is taken away every time you misbehave, if love is withdrawn, then the child loses out on. Aren't we the product of not being able to trust God freely because of not having any relationships in our lives when we were growing up that actually portrayed the fullness of who God is as a father? Aren't we the product of pastors who, I've done it to people, so that's why I'm saying it with great confidence, who brought shame and condemnation and all kinds of things on us and never showed us how beautiful the Father is. There's always time to fix this, eh? That's the beauty of it. These are the forces that took physical form and came down amongst the daughters of men and bred giants and Nephilim in Genesis chapter 6. These are the same forces, these evil forces, that later on turned humans into brute beasts in Sodom and Gomorrah. This is why Paul refers to them as spiritual hosts of depravity and wickedness. And the world isn't there yet. We are heading there, but we aren't there yet. Please understand that they are as active as they were in Sodom and Gomorrah, as they are today, as active, turning humans into, turning humans into people that are worse than beasts. Animals sometimes have greater morality. How do you take a Shiloh or a, or, or a Phoebe and turn them into beings that are less than animals? How do you do that? This is who we are up against. Genesis 6, they were locked up because they left their boundaries and came down and took daughters of men. We won't go into that today, but the point is this. You're dealing with a wicked... You're dealing with something really wicked and it's on a daily basis. Guys, we've got to turn and become so familiar with the ways of God. If we are not to set ourselves at a place of great freedom, but to set others also into a place of great freedom. These are satanic, this is the satanic order of principalities, of powers, of world rulers of the dark domain, of spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies, Ephesians 6.10. It's, like it's like an arrangement, it's like a hierarchy, it's like an order of world rulers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of depravity and wickedness, powers, principalities, princes. They actually exist. They hold nations under their sway. They hold people who haven't found Christ under their sway. Ephesians 2. They demand worship. These are forces behind idolatry, behind divination, behind witchcraft, behind sorcery, behind child sacrifice, behind cultic prostitution. From Asherah to Baal to Molech to Artemis to Jezebel, the only difference is it takes on sophisticated forms now. But these things existed then, they still exist now. Now you call it palmistry, you call it new ageism, you call it seances, you call it... Um, um, all kinds of other names that sound very sophisticated. And as long as a couple of people from Hollywood can espouse it, my God, it becomes normal. And yet it's the same thing. Idolatry, divination, sorcery, um, occult, child sacrifices, takes on a new form now. Um, cultic prostitution. Everything is basically the same. There is nothing creative that the devil can do. He can only dress it up in yoga pants and lululemon. That's all it can do. 
This is Satan, a wicked religious spirit, using sin and the law to accuse, shame, and condemn. This is a religious spirit. It, if nothing else works, this, this, this enemy of ours has the ability to make us religious. You know what religion is? Religion banishes love. It banishes love. It takes away love as a reason for doing things with God. It banishes love. You take away that and you got religion. This is he who perverts order and then exploits the fracture of order or rebellion. And then he begins to devour the arrogant, the ignorant and the innocent. This is the same enemy who first perverts order. He, he, he provokes you to rebel. And once you rebel, now that there is rebellion, he does exactly what happens to him. Happened to him. He drives you out of safe places like he was driven out of safe places. He first perverts order and after perverting order, takes advantage of the rebellion that one indulges in and he devours the arrogant, the innocent and the ignorant with equal pleasure. Any questions? If this is getting overwhelming, good. Because we are not aware of this ever. I want to be, you know, that song says, let us be more aware of his presence. It is absolutely true. But there is, a, there is another world that we have to be aware of that we are constantly battling against. Every decision I make has to be therefore a decision that is soaked in the nature of God and is directed by God. And if I don't know how to make it today, I have to learn so that I know it a little better tomorrow. This is the same Satan who knows that his time is short and he goes after the bride with great rage. Revelation chapter 12, 17. When uh, the serpent, when the dragon saw that the woman was taken away to a place of safety, he was enraged and he began to go after the children of the woman. He knows his time is short. We are fortunate in Canada not to have those things happen to us. Go to other places, man, and you will see how he is ravaging the bride with a rage that is insatiable. This is the serpent, the same serpent who possesses and provokes men and women to hate, to murder, to maim, to ravage, to mutilate the dignity of others that are made in the image of God. Same serpent who both possesses and provokes people. While Christians cannot be possessed, they can only be oppressed or some parts of their personality can be brought under subjection. There's, a, there's millions and millions and millions of people that can be possessed, that can be controlled, that can be used to maim, mutilate, strip away, ravage the dignity of others that look like them are made like them in the image of God. This has been going on for centuries. It will stop, man. It will stop. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. There will be a day of reckoning. There will be punishment. You can see why hell had to be created. It was not created for humans. It was created for this arch enemy of God. It was reserved for his torment. It was not meant for man. It was not meant for man. This is the same Satan who shoots fiery arrows every day that sometimes pierce and set aflame body, mind, and soul. Ephesians 6. And this is the nature of the enemy after he was disarmed by Christ on the cross, which is strange, eh? 
We're talking about an enemy who's so active after being disarmed on the cross by Christ, Colossians 2.15. So if he is disarmed, then I have to learn ways to make sure that this does not continue in my life or in your life or in the lives that are placed in my charge. This is a disarmed, defeated enemy who's being paraded as a prisoner of Christ in his triumphant procession, Colossians 2. So after having said all this, the fact still remains that he's defeated and disarmed. So there is a way for us, normal human beings in Christ, to overcome him. Any questions? Any, any difference of opinion? Hey, the Bible calls these evil days. And it called this, it called this time evil days. 2,000 years ago, Paul said... And in the evil day stand, uh, and the idea of evil day is when evil is experienced with exceptional power and the temptation to yield is strong and the climate of opinions around you is hostile to the ways of Christ, you know you are in evil days. And Paul is standing in Rome, uh, not in Rome, Paul is standing at a time when Caesar was Lord and he's saying, listen, you need to understand that in the evil day you need to stand. And what does he mean by evil day? Days of exceptional evil power, days of temptation that is very strong and you usually have a tendency to yield and days when the opinions of people around you are hostile to the ways of Christ. And if that was the case 2,000 years ago, I'd suggest that it's not any better now. And so here's the thing, guys. It's not a worldly war. So you cannot resist these forces with your natural strength, nor can you resist it with um, resolve. Or through some great social work that will set the oppressed free. Because my God, you can only do that physically, man, but how do you battle an enemy that is spiritual and invisible? So one must employ weapons that are otherworldly or not from this world, and that is where we Christians begin to um, end up doing these few things. One, we begin to apologize for our understanding of Satan. We begin to apologize for our understanding of Satan. You know, Satan is real, but we, we should not blame everything on the devil. Uh, you know, we are mostly responsible, and Christ is anyway victor. He's like um, the Lion of Judah, and this is the Lion whose teeth has been pulled out. So we don't need to worry. Really? He walks around like a roaring lion, see who he may devour. We apologize for our otherworldly weapons. We don't pray strong prayers in church because we think we'll sound too super spiritual. We will not attack the spiritual realities behind things because we don't want to sound like there is an active war happening with Satan. We hesitate. We do not allocate or attribute Spiritual reasons for things. We try to fight them with our factual, knowledgeable mind. Sure, there is a virus called coronavirus. But how do you handle Psalm 91? Psalm 91 is words. Words spoken by God. Psalm 91, 3-7 is words spoken by God. How do you speak words from a book and they become real for you? How ridiculous is that? How do you say that no arrow that flies by the day and no pestilence that flies by the night will touch you? No plague will come near you. How do you say that and actually believe it and walk like you're walking in a park? How do you do that? It's a spiritual reality. But because we do not have the ability to step into that, because of different reasons, and we're not going into the reasons now, we just make everything. You know, yeah, that's true. Psalm 91 is true. But, you know, we have to be uh, reasonable and wise too. Be reasonable and wise, but may it always be secondary to the word of God. God doesn't frown at common sense. But, uh, I mean, one of the coolest passages which reveals so much about God is he says to Azza, I got no problems with you going to a physician. I just have a problem that you went to him first before you came to me. 
What a cool revelation, eh? That I've, I've put things here on earth, like common sense, like uh, doctors. I've put things here on earth so you can use them. But my God, I've got no problems with you going there because I was the one who made these things happen. But before you go there, can you please come to me so that I know that I'm your first resort? Someone once asked Jeevan and me when we were sitting at Himalaya restaurant, this pastor asked Jeevan and I, Jeevan and I is right, right? Yeah. Jeevan and me? Gosh, I got it right the first time. This pastor asked a couple of us. (laughs) (laughs) He asked a couple of us, why is it that you see more miracles in India than you see in Canada? And I came up with a very sound theological explanation. That, uh, and then Jeevan said, um, because when someone is sick in a village in India, or when someone doesn't have money in India and is a believer, they can't go to a doctor, nor can they go to a loan shark or a bank, so they go to God. And I thought, what a brilliant answer. I mean, it just made small of my answer, but what a brilliant answer. You see more of God turn up when there is nobody else to go to but God. And yet God has placed things in our paths so that we can still use them. His thing is, who's your first resort? The first thing is apologize. The second thing we do is we go middle of the ground, middle of the road, uh, where we choose this happy middle. Because we've been taught from right from when we were kids, uh, everything should be held in balance. Not true. What about Christ is balancey, man? Everything is so ridiculously radical. What is not extreme about him? Where is the balance in laying down your life? Where is the balance in you becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit? Where is the balance in your sins all being forgiven because someone died? Where is the balance in pouring out your life? Where is the balance in raising your children so that they can pour out their lives? There is no balance here. This is a radical master who wants radical people that follow him. We can't do this middle of the ground thing where, yes, Jesus has said this, but there's we middle things, man. And the enemy just enjoys it saying, as long as they don't go the other way, if they are middle, they are fine. Because they do not know Revelations 2 verse 22 or 23, which says, be either hot or be cold. They don't know it. Lukewarmness. Third, we are dismissive. We are dismissive of how real the satanic realm is. We are dismissive of it. We are dismissive of it. Why? Perhaps because we haven't experienced it. Why? Because we don't want to think about it. Why? Because it might need dealing with. Why? Because it might require actual um, change. Or why? Because we don't want, we're not interested in it. We're going to heaven anyways. Who wants a better deal than going to heaven? I do. And these are not things I want for myself. I want it for others, man. And so we can't be dismissive. This has... We'll get there. We can't be dismissive. This is real. I so desire this. Everyone sitting here to come awake to this reality and then we begin to gallop towards this end together. There is not a single thing that is happening in your life that is broken, that is messed up, that does not have a spiritual reality behind it. It doesn't matter whether you were the one who caused it or you were not the one who caused it. The fact is there is still a spiritual reality behind it. When you look for someone to blame, the buck always stops at the other end with the devil. Even though you may have caused whatever to happen or someone else caused it. Someone else you trusted caused it. Maybe I caused it. But at the end of the day, there is a spiritual reality that must be fixed before the physical can be fixed. The fourth thing we do is we are unschooled. We are unschooled as in 
we do not go to school about these things. We do not go to school about these things. We do not, uh, one of the coolest, not one of the coolest, a really cool verse in the Bible that I really love is, oh God, train my fingers for battle and my hands for war. It was normal for people to fight. Judges chapter 3, verse 10. No, not verse 10. Judges chapter 3, verse... I know I've read this to you before, but it was a year ago. Just go there. You will see the kind of God you serve. He ain't no namby-pamby God. I love this about him, man. Judges chapter 3, verse 1. These are the nations the Lord left to test all those Israelites who had not experienced any of the wars in Canaan. He did this only to teach warfare to the descendants of the Israelites who had, had not had any previous battle experience. They were left to test the Israelites to see whether they would obey the Lord's command which he had given to their forefathers. What's he saying? Hey, Jacob, it's great uh, that you're following me, but I definitely want you to learn how to fight. And if you don't fight... You only have two choices. Someone else will have to do the fighting for you and carry you. And they can carry you for a long while. But at some point, every dad says to his child, son, you're 14 now. You're too heavy to carry. You think Sheldon will be doing that when Phoebe turns eight? She says yes. And the last one is we become theorists. Theorists. Theorists are one who know everything about everything but have absolutely no, um, uh, have never been tested in real battle. Yeah. Theorists are ones who have never had the practice. They, everything is in here but never had the practice. You know, um, uh, over the last little while, when I've gone on trips to certain places with certain people, either from here or from elsewhere, almost always there has been a backlash against some of the ones I've taken. I was talking to Chad about it some days ago, and he said, Jacob, unfortunately, there is no other way to train people except to actually take them into battle. My dad used to say this. He didn't have much of an education. He was an engineer. But there were other engineers who were brilliant, who were uh, half his age, who had gotten amazing degrees. And my dad didn't have much of a degree. And my dad would come home and say, man, the guy knows how to talk, but he doesn't know how to put things together. It's a whole different ballgame when you have to actually do stuff. And the only way to do it is to throw people, not into the deep end, but the less deep end. Any questions before we go on? Any questions before we go on? I want you to be so aware of this. So aware of this. Not so that you walk afraid, but so that you realize that, ah, shucks, man, I've got to change the way I see the world. Even the prophetic, when it is spoken, is actually checking out the spirit realm behind a person so that you give the person what is required for walking. The prophetic is to see the, the, the attempts of the enemy before they even happen and reveal them. The prophetic is to be able to say to a person, this is who God has made you. Why? So that should there be an attempt to dismantle you, you already know what God has said about you. You don't know how, why I, now, now you understand why I go over what has been spoken over me again and again and again every week. Because there is going to be an attempt to change the way I think based on my circumstances, based on my past, based on my present experiences. There'll be this loud noise saying, you ain't that, you ain't that, you ain't that, you ain't that. And then there is this whisper that says, but Jacob, this is what I said about you. And it begins to just shift me, eh? We 
We won't, uh, I'll, I'll read out how we can resist him and there are brilliant ways. We won't talk about it today because it's impossible. So we'll have to take each of them next week and see how far we go with it. Um, but before I list those things down, um, here is a question that often comes up. Sure, Jacob, I'll, I'm willing to agree with you that God is not um, uh, someone who permits evil. God is not someone who allows evil. But that may be so. But here is a question I have then. If God has the power, why does he not stop the evil as a good father would? That's the other question that comes up. Sure, God does not do evil. He does not permit it. He does not allow it. But since he has the power, why does he not stop it? It's a question I hear frequently. Among other things. And so we'll just put down a few points on that and then uh, how we resist this horrible enemy that we have, we'll deal with next week. Waters made bitter. God is a God that makes waters sweet. When we deal with why is it that God has, if God has a power, why does he not stop evil as a good father? When we deal with that, the passage that we look at is James chapter 1, 1 to 13. You know, people think James is like Solomon. He just strung a few proverbs together, put them in five chapters, and uh, he sounds so disjointed. But the guy is actually pretty smart, man. It is not a disjointed book. And so when you read James chapter 1 to 13, you see him examining so many different things that answers the simple question that we have asked. We won't be doing it today, but I'm just giving you a taste of what might happen in the future. So when we look at... Um, yeah, just a private joke inside my head. Sorry, I didn't realize that you guys were watching. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, we will look at James chapter 1, verse 1 to 13, and grapple with some of these things to answer the question, if God, since God has the power, why does he not stop evil being a good father? So the first one is, like uh, Danny was saying, it is um, the... Uh, the, um, uh, not the, mankind's free will. Mankind's, mankind's free will. So we'll have to look at that. The second thing we look at, from James chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. There are many other places you can look at, but I've never seen it come together in one place like this. The second time is, uh, life and death, seed time and harvest, seed time, and harvest laws. Uh, as in, there are certain laws that have been established in the universe that go to work, um, whether you're Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if a Christian, Muslim, or Buddhist throws up this thing, it always comes down. It's not because I'm a Christian that the pen came down. Gravity works all over. There are certain rules and laws that God has established that are universal. So that is another thing that factors in when we talk about, um, because I've heard, um, I remember a woman coming and saying, why didn't God prevent me from getting pregnant when I slept with my boyfriend? And my thing was, it's an egg and a sperm thing. It, it isn't, God isn't actively trying to prevent or make. There are some biological rules that are, that exist. You can't, you can't go sleep with a boyfriend you're not married to and never were planning to marry to and now blame God for having a child because there are certain laws that he's set in place that do go into effect. These are universal laws that applies right across. So we'll deal with that another, uh, not another time, when we deal with it. The third one, the the testing of external trials and internal temptations in a fallen world and internal temptations in a fallen world 
as in these exist. Because of the fallenness of the world, there are external trials, there are internal temptations. And so how does that factor in? Four. The practice of joyful perseverance. All of this is in James chapter 1, verse 1 to 13. The practice of joyful perseverance that produces godly character, which is God's chief end, by the way. God's chief end is not so that, not that you come to church on a Sunday and have a spiritual experience and listen to spiritual teaching and go home happy. He's so not interested in that. His ultimate intent is to produce Christ-like character. And in the processes of life, there is this thing called the practice of joyful perseverance. Please understand, perseverance is not endurance. Perseverance is endurance that has an assured outcome. Because you trust that your champion goes to work for you. Endurance is when you endure something. Perseverance is endurance with an assured outcome. With an outcome where you have, it is endurance where you have a certainty that your champion is going to bat for you. That's the difference between endurance and perseverance. Must not mix both. One is separate from the other. Pop, uh, James talks about this. And then the last one for now, and there might be more, is this whole idea of uh, the wisdom of God. The wisdom of God. Uh, the wisdom of God who is the giver of every good and perfect gift. You know, if you look at it for a second as a father or a mother, you will realize that you do this for your children. And if your children turned around and said, how could you do this? You would say, but this is exactly what we need to do so that you may become an adult. You... Know that there is a time when your child has free will and there is nothing you can do about it. You can train up a child in the way he or she should go and there's absolutely nothing you can do about it when they exert free will. Blessed are you if your child is still under 12. <laughs> then, there are certain laws that are universal. There are certain laws that are universal. There is nothing a parent can do to change that. There's nothing a parent can do to change that. We don't, we, we don't have a problem with those rules. I mean, someone was telling me recently that their boy is growing up, and uh, like these are problems I never had. Eh? Their boy is growing up, the bones are growing longer. I don't know when my bones grew, they took forever. And so the boy is falling when he's playing football and getting hurt. But the parents aren't saying, okay, you've got to quit football or you've got to stop growing. Because both are universal laws. When you play soccer and when you're growing, you may be a little disjointed for a while. Parents don't have a problem with that. The third one, the testing of external trials and internal temptations in a fallen world. My God, you can protect your child, but you think your child can live its life without being hurt in a fallen world? You're there to comfort, but can you ever prevent it? You have the power to. There's an easy way. Keep them at home. Don't send them to school. Bubble wrap them. Yeah. Four. The practice of joyful perseverance to produce godly character. I begged my dad, saying, please don't send me to this particular school. They got this thing called hazing. Those, for the first three months, the seniors are going to beat up on me. Please let me stay in this fancy hotel and I'll just go quickly and come out quickly. And he said, nope. Then I begged my dad, please, I'm 27. Keep supplying me money till I get a decent job. And he did. And then at 28, he cut me off. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> I know, I learned later. <laughs> and then there is the wisdom of God, where even though 
I mess up, I can always go back and ask for wisdom, and the wisdom is there. That's the strange thing with parents, eh? You do everything they tell you not to do, and then after that you go back to them and you ask for them, them for help, and they're suckers for it, and they help you. Where did you think you got this nature from? We'll examine this in the light of James chapter 1, 1 to 13. Be highly aware of the enemy that you're up against. I'm going to just read out how we'll um, combat it. I'm not going to go over it. One, know that when the enemy is active, there is the intervening goodness of God that mitigates, that scatters, that stops the enemy in his tracks, even when you are stubborn and rebellious. Two, wear this amazing thing called the armor of God. It is crazy. I was driving here, I was thinking, okay, Father, helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, belt of truth, shoes that are shod with the gospel of peace, the sword of the spirit, uh, shield of faith, divine weapons of def defense and attack with divine power to demolish strongholds and destroy works. I'm just reading through it. Next, invisible spiritual re resources released through words and actions. Four, five, or six, or whatever number. Forewarned of the devil's schemes so that I'm forearmed. Forewarned of the devil's schemes so that I'm forearmed. Five, weaponized through the processing and the wielding of the word. Weaponized through the processing and wielding of the word. Psalm 91. You know what? You can live happily ever after just sitting in Psalm 91. If your entire Bible got raptured except Psalm 91, that would be enough. Like all the other books disappeared, except Psalm 91. You'd still manage well. He who dwells in the... It's a brilliant psalm, learn it by heart. Next one. These forces constitute no threat when I'm united to Christ and his finished works by the exertion of faith. Do not underestimate the power of this thing called faith. It quenches fiery arrows. Quenches fiery arrows. Next, the unrestrained flow of holy wisdom. The unrestrained flow of holy wisdom that God gives without grudging. And then the last one, being completely and increasingly dependent and obedient to the Holy Spirit and his directions. This is how Paul lived. This is how Jesus lived. This is how some of the heroes that you appreciate live. Um, this is how I want to live. Any questions? We'll talk about that next week. Any questions? All righty. So we're going to sing, God is fighting for us. Ryan, can you pull that out? Jane, you want to come or you're happy with your baby? You're happy with your baby? Okay. All righty. So we'll ask Jacob to sing it. Sheldon, thank you. <laughs> and then I'm going to ask Samar to come. She's got a short five-minute story to share, which I thought she must share, so I'll call her up. Yes. Why, you want less? Okay. Yes.